welcome to Call Me Whenever. I'm Shivani. And I'm Chinaza. And yeah, that's our duo. So we have such a special treat for you guys today. Today, Black Girl Mentor and Career Mentor for Women, Dr. Ashley Adams is joining us this week to talk about how to navigate imposter syndrome and advocate for yourself so you can get that promotion in professional and academic spaces. Among her many achievements, Dr. Adams is a co-host on the School and Life podcast and founder of the Mentor Me platform, a career and leadership development platform for professional women. She has a PhD in educational leadership, nearly 15 years of professional experience in corporate, nonprofit, and educational leadership. And in addition to running her her business full-time, Ashley serves as the Senior Director of Student Affairs at one of the largest higher education institutions in the nation. And just to note, this is just a fraction of the portfolio that Ashley has built for herself. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. We are so, so happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and excited about our dialogue. Yes, Yes, I'm so excited. Um, When Tanaza specifically told me, you know, like, obviously, we do our research, we do a deep dive. And I was like, oh, my God, like, she does so much. And I we're not even close to that. Like, I'm so excited to just like, know how how you manage, you know, all of this. It's just very, very impressive. And it's awesome to see a woman of color doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I personally would just love to hear more of your story. Like Shivani said, I saw your profile and I was like, this woman has been killing it forever. And as somebody who (laughs) am still learning how to kill the game or just (laughs) necessarily (laughs) understand the game before I can kill it, (laughs) per se, (laughs) I just want to know more of your story. Like, how did you, how did this become a passion for you? Like, this is such a niche, important thing that women need women of color specifically and you're doing it for all of us so how did that start yeah it started at birth I've been killing it since I was came out the womb no. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay <laughs> no, not at all you know I'm so I am so proud of the work that I do I'm so proud to serve women and black women in specific specifically um, and really serve as a model for what's available to us in life and career development Um, But I am, you know, it did really start at birth in terms of, you know, me being like a big sister. I'm the oldest of seven children and Mm -hmm. I am Darlene's daughter. And I'm so proud of um, the legacy that my mother and her sisters and so many loud and powerful women built for me. Um, And I really, truly stand on the shoulders of giants of smart and brave women um, who taught me how to be vulnerable and powerful and go after everything that I want. And they were my first mentors, teachers, coaches, and trainers. Um, And so I'm just advancing, right, the work that Mm -hmm. they taught me how to do. Uh, I do have a lot of experience in corporate, nonprofit, and educational leadership, and my PhD is in educational leadership. And I'm I'm able to leverage, right, that immense experience in those industries and those functional areas and doing that work across those industries in many years now to mentor women to leverage their experience to do the same. Um, because what I what I find is that, you know, black women in particular we have sort of been taught and raised and indoctrinated to, um, you know, seek credentials and certification Mm -hmm. and um, accolades, right, to prove and assess our worthiness. And, you know, as a woman with a PhD, I'm never going to tell you, right, or you specifically or any woman not to go after your degree, but I do worry, right, that we are letting these degrees and these credentials measure our worthiness and we right. are really learning or do we have a, um, a specific and unique understanding about how to leverage our degrees in impactful ways to really get what we want out of the world of work. So my mission and my work and something I'm really skilled in is teaching women how to leverage their expertise to really get what they want out of the world of work so that they not only have the degree and the credential, but they know how to use it as well. That's so interesting you you say that because I've definitely, you know, uh, being an undergrad student, sometimes we like joke around and we're like, oh, I'm going to graduate. I, I'm a STEM uh, student. So like I have a biochem de- like degree. Obviously, my intention is to, for you know, do more, uh, go to grad school. So but when you think about it, you're like, well, if I don't do grad school, let's just say if I don't, what is the value of this 
BS of chem, biochem degree, like, what am I going to do with it? Sometimes you really have to take that, like, step back and you're like, wait, are there more options? Do I have more options with, like, the, the uh, degree that I'm pursuing? Um, and I think that's so, so essential for those that are uh, coming in to, uh, like, you know, upper, higher education, because some, you're a high schooler when you're choosing what you want to maybe do. And sometimes you don't really know, and you just pick a random degree and you kind of run with it. But I definitely think that's much needed in this in this space. Yeah, and just to piggyback off that, I really think that it's important for us to remember that we have worth in every single stage of education and that we have something to bring to the table every single stage and that these qualifiers that we seek are more so affirmation for the things that we already have. They're not going to actually inform those things. And I was at the library today because I've been home for a while. Um, I've been... At, like doing school from home and everything. So now that it's the summertime, I really need to leave my house to think and be able to process things. And I'm applying to law school this summer too. So it's it's a really interesting time for me, honestly, Ashley, because I've only been in college like physically for a year and a half, but now I'm applying to the next stage of life. So it made me question everything because I worked so hard to get into school, like to get to start my bachelor's degree and now I'm about to receive that degree and most of it was done for my childhood bedroom so it really had me thinking to myself like deep down like where do you think your value is actually coming from like do you think that this degree that like is the school really handing you the degree when you did it in your <laughs> your childhood bedroom like or is it something that was activated in you that was already always there and I, I was that Right. Like I was yeah, like to that activation. And I, I love the right. way you're articulating that. It's so beautiful. And, you know, again, don't get me wrong. Like it would be so inauthentic for me to be like, forget school. You know, it's not, it's all a sham. Like I literally have a PhD in education. <laughs> I work right. full time at a higher education institution. That would be very disingenuous. But what I am more specifically talking about is the leveraging of said degrees. I think that mm -hmm. we kind of blindly are like, yeah, of course I'm going to spend $50,000 on this bachelor's degree, 60 on the master's, 120 on the PhD. And then I serve Oof. so many women who have, are like in PhD programs or, you know, finishing master's degrees. And they're like, oh, I have no idea how to use this. I have no idea how right. I got it. I have no idea how to use it. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. I mean, it's in shambles. And so I just want to invite us to do more things with intention, right? Like, like whatever you desire to do, whatever degree or credential you desire to have, I'm fine with that. I just want to make sure that you're doing it with intention, that you have a plan for leveraging it, that you don't think the degree is going to equal wealth or worth in your life, right? Mm. And that is the gap. Say that again. No, say it again. I need, say no, I really again. need this. I need this because I was in an existential crisis earlier today where I was like, I'm getting all these degrees, but at the end of the day, like there's a job that's supposed to be waiting at the end of this. And I feel like I don't know if this is a millennial thing, but it's like, I feel like I'm never actually going to work. Like I'm such a perpetual student that I'm afraid I'm going to be like Lynn from Girlfriends. If any of you guys watch Girlfriends, who's <laughs> endlessly getting degree on degree and living in her friend's like basement. Yes, and <laughs> Sorry, she's Shibani. so smart and has the most powerful intellectual conversations ever. But girl, are you bringing in any income? Are you adding right. <laughs> to the world? Are you exactly. serving anyone in any impactful way, right? And so, you know, I think it might be an opportunity for you to think about like, you know, so I'm going to go, I'm applying for law school. I'm going to get this law degree, but is there an opportunity for you to work while you're in law school or serve in some way while you're in mm -hmm. law school so that you have an opportunity to have some applied interaction or some applied some applied strategy to the work that you're doing. I remember um, after I finished my, my bachelor's degree and my master's degree is in sociology, shout out to the liberal arts. And I Woo! remember, <laughs> I remember <laughs> like, you know, going into, you know, I was, I had finished my master's degree and I was like job searching. I was like, yes, I have this master's degree. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited. And all the jobs were like, oh yeah, you need five years of experience. You need 10 years of experience. And I was like, how sis, how was I supposed to get right. both, both <laughs> degree and the years of experience? Like, where were both of these things supposed to come from? Right. And I was so frustrated and I felt so overwhelmed. Um, and so I, I did decide to go back to school to get my PhD, but I flat out was like, I need to work while I'm in this PhD program so that I can have some applied knowledge and have the, the right. credential. And again, so it was with intention. I wasn't just like, I want to learn more. Let me, I know this PhD is going to 
get me what I want. I was like, I know I've seen the comps. I looked at the jobs. I know they're asking for both. And in order for me to position myself as a top candidate, I'm gonna need both. And too many women are disillusioned. And then they get angry, bitter, and frustrated mm -hmm. when they spent the money and they have the degree and you know they're like racism and sexism and those things exist. Those institutions exist. I'm not discounting that. I'm also saying you may have played yourself because you weren't doing it with intention. And so I just really wanna invite us into a much more deep and thoughtful intention in our lives as we seek to advance our careers. Mm, yeah, that's no. so well said, because I think that sometimes you do fall into that trap as a as a, per, a woman of color, like, you know, sometimes any opportunity that, you know, sometimes I may not receive or someone else gets picked, you know, sometimes I'm very, I am sometimes very quick to point at, you know, racism or sexism, because I see someone else in that place. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Sometimes you, you, every decision should be, should be made with intention. And I, I think that a lot of students especially nowadays since higher education is like so common you just kind of jump from high school to college like that's something that I'm supposed to do anyway mm -hmm. I think the intention is lost because I think years ago there was a reason why you went to um you know to get your bachelor's like I'm going to get my bachelor's I'm going to become a teacher I'm going to do this I want to be a nurse I want to do something that's why I'm going but now that intention is kind of lost because everyone's supposed to go to, right. to college. And so you're absolutely right. Some, a lot of people, even my friends sometimes will be like, oh, like I, how am I gonna get into this district? Like, how am I gonna become a counselor in this district? Like, how am I gonna do it? Like, well, it's, you gotta get those, that experience. You gotta make those connections. So yeah. after, the, after getting your degree, you, you have the connection to utilize and be like, hey, like I got my bachelor's, like I'm a good student, you know me, like, let's, let's get into an interview. Yeah. And I agree. I feel like now oftentimes we're kind of on this conveyor belt of like what a perceived success, like we have all these degrees, like we post our picture on Instagram saying, you know, the bride price just got higher. Like we do all those things, which is true. But also then when it comes to actually getting in that room and getting that job, like actually going for it, I think we all sell ourselves short because we're like, hold on, like, this degree is what's supposed to tell me is what's supposed to show my worth. Like, how am I going to actually advocate for my worth? Like, I'm not used to that. Like the, the degree should speak for itself, but you have coworkers around you who are talking themselves up. Like they have PhDs when they don't, or like they have all this experience that they, you know, them personally, like they're your coworker, you know, they don't have that experience and they're going to like bars on the weekends while you're the one slaving away, preparing for Monday. So how do we, like, how do we, lead with intention with our degrees and also how do we advocate for ourselves um because I feel like there's so many reasons why women don't um specifically women of color but just a woman in general like we don't advocate for ourselves we don't put ourselves in those positions or we don't even believe in ourselves as much as we know we're qualified to do the position like we believe we can do it we know we can do the work and succeed in that place but at the same time it's hard for us to admit that for some reason um, so there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I think you talked about how to, how do you lead with intention, right? Like, so I kind of threw mm -hmm. that out there. Like you need to lead with intention. You need to, you know, earn your degrees with intention. You need to move through life with intention. But so then the question is, how do you do that? Actually, what does that look like? And so, um, as a career development strategist, I invite women to think about their values. So I define values as like a personal compass. It's what guides your decision-making. Uh, I choose the words value specific. So not passion or purpose. I'm really talking about values. I actually don't mm -hmm. believe a lot in passion or purpose. I think it's cute for selling mugs and notebooks, but passion and mm -hmm. purpose are fleeting. They're waning. Okay. The girls are, yeah. you know, I'm passionate about this this week. I'm passionate about this this week. It's like, <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> like, I, I don't really believe in it. Like, it's cute for like a mug or a keychain, but I want to talk about what guides your decision-making. And often, mm -hmm. right, like we have values, right? So for example, some of my personal values, I value wealth. <laughs> I value autonomy and I value flexibility. Period. 
I just, I, 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 um, I, I walk in wealth. It's, it's, it's my, as birthright. you should, yes. as you should. <laughs> my and so, my and so because I value wealth, I'm intentional about saving, right? I'm not mm. spending my last dollar. I'm making really smart investments. I negotiate every job offer. I'm not even searching for jobs that are beneath my salary requirements. I do exceptional work at work so that I can expect the salary increase, right? Like I value wealth. So I make decisions like I value wealth. I value autonomy, right? Like I do not need you breathing down my neck. I do not need to be micromanaged, but that also means that I have to operate mm. in a level of excellence. So don't nobody got to be breathing down my neck and telling me what to do, right? right. We need to be making sure that we make decisions based on our values. And I think like, for example, people will say, oh, I value family or I value faith. That's, you know, that's the most important thing to me, but they ain't been to mosque, church, synagogue or nowhere else. Like you can't value faith. You're not in the building. You're not practicing the stuff. You're not listening to it. You're not reading none of the books. How do you value that if your daily practices aren't aligned with your values, right? You say you value family, but you don't see your family. You don't spend no time with your family. Every time they call you, you, you just climb in the call. How do you value value that when your personal decisions are not aligned. And so leading your life with intention means that you one, know what your values are. You have a defining of them. So you know what they mean, not just they're not just words on a piece of paper, but you know how to operationalize them and you're regularly measuring the alignment, right? So when you can recognize when you're out of alignment and then you work to get back into alignment. Um, and so like as a career coach, I help women one, identify their values to define them and then measure the alignment of their current life and work and while and where they are out of alignment and many women for example they value wealth but like they've been working in a job that's paying them sixty thousand dollars a year for six years when they should be making 95 right and so we i work to help them get back in alignment with the wealth that they desire for their lives and find and secure roles that are going to help them build wealth for their family in their future and so that's an example of like how to lead with intention is to lead with your values oh that's really I love that like distinction between values, passion, and purpose, because I went to, me and Shivani were part of this um, organization called Future Business Leaders of America in high school. And I feel like it really jumpstarted us on understanding what it feels like to be a professional in the world, a working professional and have respect for yourself and kind of walk through the world with a little bit more confidence and um, faith in your abilities. And I think one of the things uh, one of the workshops I went to, they talked about was values and how fundamental they are to really everything that you do in every facet of your life, whether that's like you're mentioning family, faith, work. Like if you're like, I think it's so important for women to mean what they say at work and say what they mean, like both of those things. Like if you are trying to um, express something to your boss or express something to a coworker don't beat around the bush, like be succinct, be direct, be obviously respectful about it, like be kind, be all of those things, but don't downplay your message. And then your coworker says it next to you and gets all of the praise for it because you weren't direct with it. Or maybe you talked talked with your coworker about it over lunch and then he takes your idea or something that like that. That is the most frustrating like <laughs> thing I have ever been through, especially as a STEM student. I'm sure every woman has gone through this, but as a STEM student, especially you, there's a lot of like, I definitely want to talk about uh, uh, imposter syndrome maybe a little bit later, but you definitely face a lot of imposter syndrome throughout every stage. And mm. being a STEM student, there's already very few women in, in my major, in any of these majors. And then discussing something in full confidence, just brainstorming like every other man does. But no, my idea is just taken from me. Like, give me a mm -hmm. moment. And I, I will say, I do blame that a little bit on me and, and, and how I walk in those, in those hallways, in those classrooms, because I think I do catch myself sometimes, you know, staying quiet or, you know, observing more than speaking. I think that's actually something I do anywhere I walk in. I'm more of an, yes, I love talking. I'm, I'm a, quite a chatter, Ashley, but when it comes to, when it <laughs> that's comes a, to, that's an absolute fact. I'll <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> uh, um, that's why we have a podcast. Come on now. Um, but I will say like in, in any, like, you know, higher education, any, anywhere professional, I'm the observer. I'm never the one that walks into a room with full confidence, even though I should have that full confidence. You know, I'm always the one that kind of takes a step back. And most of the times 
there are negative consequences to that decision of, you know, kind of staying quiet a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And employers must do a better job of providing space for all of its employees. It's, you know, it's quiet employees, it's observant employees, it's processors, right? Because that's an ability issue, right? Like you may have better ideas and may be able to be more succinct and confident and thoughtful about your answer when you've had the time to process. Employers Mm -hmm. must create environments that allow for different abilities within the workspace. That's an accessibility issue. I mean, flat out, that's an EEOC issue. And I do want to invite women um, to move from constant observation to, you know, advocacy and, and, and speaking their truth and advocating for themselves and managing up. Um, and I want to invite women to do so um, even when they're scared, right? Even when they're mm-hmm. unsure, even when their voice might shake. I love what you talked about um, around the sort of being direct and succinct. Those are the key components of managing up a strategy that I teach in my mentorship programs where I'm teaching women how to leverage their relationship with their boss to really get what they want. And one of the key components of that is to be really clear about exactly what you need in your role to be successful and then mm-hmm. asking for it, right? Not just knowing it, but asking for it. And regardless of yeah. what they say, if they say, yes, I can give it to you or no, I can't, letting them know that your decision to give me what I need to be successful is either going to be a direct result of me, you know, doing my job well and succeeding at a high level, which is only going to advance this organization or being really challenged in my role and really being, you know, and, and, and which may impact my performance, which is also going to impact this organization, right? And so I invite you to give me what I want, <laughs> what I need to be successful because it's going to benefit you. And so I do think that managing up is a skill. And while mm-hmm. it is absolutely the responsibility of organizations to create environments where women um, and all different processors, right, can thrive. I also want to invite women um, in teaching them how to manage up uh, so that they can leverage their, you know, existing skills and their authority to really get what they want in the workplace. Yeah. And I think that um, it's, I think one of the difficulties that women face when they're trying to advance themselves in their careers or even in academic setting is that they're afraid that by taking that step and being assertive about themselves, taking ownership over their mobility in a space that they're going to be rejected for it and that they're going to be like flat out fired for having the boldness to request better for themselves. And I think that that fear keeps a lot of women down at the place that they're at and jobs possibly that we're never planning on advancing them to begin with. So they end up staying for 10 years at a job that never had any intention on moving them beyond secretary because they're such a wonderful secretary. And without them in the role, they would not be able to function as an organization. So I think it's sometimes that false hope and that fear of rejection that keeps women there. So how do we kind of overcome those things? How do we survive that and thrive after that? I would say that it's, I am like, I guess I invite you to shift the mindset a little bit or like even shift the framework of questioning because I don't think you have to overcome it. Fear is a normal reaction. Mm you know, fear is a normal thing that we experience in the world. We're always going to be afraid of something. Someone is actually going to reject us at some point in our life and career. It's going to happen. And so instead of like sort of trying to get over it, I invite you to move through it, right? So getting over it is like pretending like it doesn't exist, closing your eyes, fighting with your eyes closed, you know, pushing (laughs) everybody out the way, barreling through, like that is kind of what like getting over it or like, you know, suppressing all of the emotions that come with rejection and, and invisibility and all of that, what I, what I invite my mentees to do is to move through that, which can be slow and sometimes painful, but like, in, like feel those feelings, right? Like mm-hmm. recognize what it feels like to be really scared at work and to feel really vulnerable and kind of feel exposed, right? And then assess, yeah. right? Is this organization committed to my career development or are they just giving me platitudes and placating me into submission, 
right? Because there's a difference between pat on the head, oh, you're doing a good job and I want you to stay exactly in this place and oh, you're doing a great job and we're looking to leverage your existing great work in higher level positions, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference, assess that. And once you've assessed it, if you recognize that these are just platitudes and donuts and pizzas to placate me so I don't say anything and rise up, then it's time to move on, right? And when you do move on, you're gonna be really scared because you've never moved on before because you've never taken those skills somewhere else before because you've never said no before because you might not get the first job you apply to and and you can still move you can be deathly afraid and still walk forward you can be trembling and make step one and two. And so I want to let women know that you don't have to get over fear to take action in your life. Yeah like you don't have to be fearless to take action. That's you can great. be scared and move. Wow. That's good. That's amazing. I think that that shift in mindset is so necessary because I think we're always thinking until like, I'm not going to do this until I'm not scared enough. Like one day I'm going to, I'm going to take enough career development classes. I'm going to like, you know, work, maybe talk to my minister enough to build the confidence or whatever you need to do to build that confidence. You're like, until I'm ready, I'm not going to take that next step. And we need to learn how to jump before we're ready to like, not physically, please do not harm yourself. But I mean, go move through that fear. Like you were mentioning, like have a little faith in yourself and have a little faith in just like for me, faith in God, that it's going to work out for other people, just like faith in like whatever that they believe that things are going to work out because they're qualified and that they're capable. And I think that this, is intertwined with imposter syndrome in a way because in a lot of ways the reason why some people are so comfortable with the feeling of fear uh, specifically white men mentioning that they're not afraid to speak boldly about things and just put it out into the void and whether it works out or not they don't really care and usually it tends to work out for them um, in a lot of these places and um a mind like that mindset is so closely attached to that and I think that as women sometimes like moving through fear is something that like we're more known to want to protect and secure and keep something safe and have a fallback plan and have all these things which are great you should have those securities but when that security has is now instead of being like you know a boundary is actually forming a gate that's blocking you from moving forward to the next level like I think that a lot of that is based on like imposter syndrome and the feeling that I'm not necessarily deserving or there's someone better out there there's someone else's thoughts that are worth more than mine or there's somebody else's like the way that someone is talking is actually reflective of their skill set and because they're so bold about what they're speaking about they must be better at it than I am so I guess like maybe to start like what are some ways that women count themselves out of top positions like what are some of the things that we do um some of the mannerisms some of the behaviors that we do that we should kind of veer away from or try to improve over time if we can't sure I have two very specific ones so number one when you're applying for jobs uh you want to follow the 70 percent rule so when you look at a job posting a job description an internship posting um you know even when you're thinking about you know um, advancing your education you want to look at the opportunity and evaluate how much demonstrated experience you already have in the role and when I say demonstrated experience I don't mean like oh yeah I could do that or yeah I've done that once before no Mm -hmm. you have literally experience doing that work or related work. If you can say that for 70% or more of um, the, um, you know, just assigned job duties or, you know, tasks, then I want to invite you to apply to the role. Mm -hmm. I think often women feel like, okay, I haven't done every single thing on this job posting. um, And even though I meet all of the minimum requirements, I'm still not going to apply because I don't feel like I meet every requirement. And I really want to invite women to move away from that. Uh, My mentees who follow the 70% rule, Um, often see a a higher return on callbacks and interviews than when they're just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks or Mm -hmm. when they're waiting until they're 100% right qualified. And quite honestly, if you meet every single requirement on the role, you're going to be bored um, in the role. um, And it's actually, you're likely not going to be able to add a lot of value in the role when you get into it. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think that's typically not a good fit. So that's strategy number one. Um, The second strategy, and this is specific to interviews, interview strategy, and I think women in particular really struggle with this, um, is 
is we say we too much, right? Every answer is we. It's we that did this and we did that and the team did this and the team did that. Well, girl, I'm not hiring all them people. I'm just hiring you. I'm here to talk to you about your specific interests, mm -hmm. skill set, you know, knowledge about the role, about the position, about about our, my your ability to solve my organizational problems. If every single interview answer you have centers we, then I'm thinking, okay, well, you should just stay there because you can't do nothing without them people, right? <laughs> Apparently, like you need to bring. I gotta hire the whole team for the, you right. to be done. And so I really want to invite mm -hmm. us to move away from the we. And I actually posted this on my social media today. I did a post about this, and there's a whole bunch of men in my comments arguing about how, oh, you of know. Course military and you know it's all about the team and I'm like that's cute for you but I actually just uh like sat in a, a search committee meeting where we declined a candidate because all they talked about was we we couldn't figure out what that's he did. we just couldn't figure it out it was like it was the proverbial we like we just didn't know like what he did so I just really want to and like that's like you know and I know you're taught that you know we I somebody you know, was like, I, oh, I, I stand on my ancestors' <laughs> shoulders or something. I'm like, girl, are your ancestors going to get the salary? I'm just, I'm just trying to invite <laughs> us into a modern age, a modern age of interviewing and this we stuff. You got to stop it. Talk about what you did. If you, you're welcome to talk about the team after you explain what you did. After you explain yeah. how you're the top candidate, then you can talk about your demonstrated um, ability to do stakeholder engagement and high level teamwork and innovative leadership. After you talk about you. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I, I was just going to say, like, I think it's easy. I've always excelled ac academically and academically, it's very, you don't need to do any of that. You don't need to advocate for yourself. Like the numbers very much speak for yourself, your work, your papers, they speak for themselves. I, I haven't, I didn't need to do that. Like it was very much like for me, a be humble, work hard, keep your head down mentality. And I saw when I started applying to things, how that was working against me, because I still wanted to be humble, even in my interviews, like I wanted to be humble, like I didn't want to gas, quote unquote, gas myself ever. And I think that my whole mindset changed when I was, um, I found this organization on my campus called um, United Nations Association. It's a chapter of the United Nations, because I'm very passionate about human rights. So I was I was a founder. I I was there with my other co-founders, and like we were trying to interview the next generation of leaders to take over the campus when we were gone. And so now being in the position of someone who is now onboarding people, I started noticing that all those things I was fearful would come off as kind of pompous or overconfident. When I was hearing people say things confidently about themselves, I was like, that's what I want. I want that person. They're driven. Like it was never a turn off for me. It was always a turn on. Like I wanted to take that person now. And I remember there was one girl on her application. Um, I knew her main desire was because the way our application process worked is you could select multiple positions and we were going to try to fit everyone where they fell. And I know there was this one girl who really wanted this one position, but two other very qualified candidates also wanted it. And we were going to take her, but at the bottom of her application, she wrote, um, I want this position, but I'd be happy with any other any of the other positions. So we were like, OK, she's going to be happy with any of the other positions. We'll put her somewhere else and we'll give the other person who only listed that they explicitly want this position. We, we gave it to that candidate instead. And I think that that's when it opened my mind that all of those little those little like put downs, those little slights that you put in your application or you say out loud, like those matter and they're going to count against you. They're not it's not like a little humble token like you're downplaying yourself and it's going to impact you negatively. I think at the time you definitely think of like, oh, like, I don't want to be like super direct because maybe if I'm a little bit more open, I might have opportunity. I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. And it's so crazy because talking about the whole like team and I, I think it's so crazy how, and this is, I think, a, a big difference between men and women that women are kind of taught to be like we the team and I because the men love to take credit for themselves like I had this situation happen where I I was part of an organization and then um we had to like basically come up with a report and the report goes up for like nationals so I come up with the support like report I type everything up I knew this was going to be a winner it goes on to nationals and it won we come yeah Period. exactly <laughs> yes. we came back to our chapter and we're all discussing an e-board and one of the team leaders was like we did it team I'm like hold on 
Hold on. No, like in my face, Please. like Ch- Chinaza knows, like my face, you can tell everything from my face if I'm like upset <laughs> or mad. Like I'll be like, yeah. like, excuse me, like when did we happen? Because I don't remember you guys sitting next to me typing this up at all. Oh, like, was not with me in the gym. You weren't right. in the gym. You wasn't there. The layup yeah. just it me. wasn't happening. <laughs> yes. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so crazy that you said that because I'm like, no, like facts. Because I wasn't ready to give up credit. First of all, I wasn't like, I I've definitely have shifted that gear, that mentality of like saying we. It was me. Why would I say we if it's not? we and so like I kept my mouth shut but these men really just love to be like you know if as if they didn't do it then it's a we and if they maybe had a part in this team then it's them it's never it's an oh, she did it yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and I think that you know it you know we're taught right to be humble and to you know just you know me and the team and I'm just so grateful for the team and I think that it, it, it just does women a disservice. And even when I was, you know, and I played myself because I'm arguing with these men. I'm the expert. I don't even know why I'm talking to them, but I'm talking to them, you know, I'm trying to help their female employees. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to help women at right. the end of the day. Because right. I know it's the under their foolish leadership. So I, you know, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, honestly, because he said something like, oh, you know, when my, when my staff wins, it's the team. And when, and when they fail, it's on me. And I said, that's such poor leadership. You need to create <laughs> environments where it's, uh, you where you create brave spaces for your team to fail. So they know mm-hmm. what failure is like, and they know it's a brave environment to fail. And they can use those failures to build their career development and take in an interview and talk about when they failed. Because yeah. someone's going to ask you, when did something fall apart? When did something, you know, crumble? And if they don't have an answer, because my boss was always there, my male boss was always there to pick me up. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's horrible leadership. You need to create environments where it's safe to fail, where it's a brave space to fail, where they know that you have their back, but not that they they never fail because you right there, are you their father? Like, are you daddy? Like what's happening here? (laughs) It's a horrible style of leadership, horrible. And so never work for someone who doesn't let you fail. Like you need to be in an environment where it's a brave space to fail, where you know that you can you can be ambitious and you can and be innovative and you can start and stop and fail and do it again, right? Like that's the kind of environment that I want organizations to have. And that's honestly the kind of or- environments that I've seen women thrive in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we have stifled environments where we're not able to manage up when we're not able to raise our hands when we're not able to be innovative when we're not able to pivot women are stifled and they fail and so it's 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 this old you know patriarchal style of leadership that's doing women an extreme disservice mm, no, absolutely that's really good because i think that um speaking this is this specifically speaks to to leaders to people who are managing teams people who um, women men anybody who's managing a team and I think one of the the worst things is to have a team that doesn't have ownership over the project, doesn't feel ownership over the project. Like feels like you're telling them they're pretty much just puppets, and you're the you're the puppet master doing everything, and you don't give your your employees the feeling like they're working towards something bigger than themselves. That like you guys are all working towards a common goal, but you also have freedom to take your liberties to advance the team. And that when that happens, when you don't have employees or team members that feel like they're they actually have a stake in what's happening like they don't feel like they actually have a say they're going to quit like they're not gonna and they're not gonna give their best because they're like oh they're just gonna tell me what to do and I'm gonna do it it's an it's an autopilot job it's not a job where I'm growing or I'm using any of my skills it's just kind of me managing whatever my boss says and when that happens you're going to have a team that is a little stagnant, that's not going to want to take any risks. And you're going to be frustrated when your friends are now moving and shaking. I think that's why Google, like you go look at jobs like Google and Facebook and the mo- the model of their um, their like employee structure is actually veering away from this like patriarchal model. Like you see some of their, like some of my friends are interns and they're like, oh yeah, like I just took the Google bike out, you know, like during during work, I took a like a 30 minute bike ride. And then I came back and I was like working for Google again, like they love their job, they have freedom in their job. And because of that, I'm, I was thinking in my head, like Google is, 
really spending money and like wasting money on these co corporate bikes and like they all the interns are living together playing like chess on the weekends what's happening but all of those tiny little things are actually fine-tuning a business model that's setting up their whole entire company for success in long-term happy employees who are going to elevate the company so i think good job to google and facebook obviously they have a lot of resources so they know this but i think that what you said is spot on it's everything to increase productivity like the old model does not work and obviously they have the money and the research and a lot of experience years of experience to know that it doesn't work and i think like you said chanaza like a lot of these companies are veering off of that and it works it's literally proving that it works like if i can go down the slide 50 times and then complete an assignment like <laughs> words <laughs> that's where i want to be yeah <laughs> i think about my mentees who value joy and fun right like they want to work in innovative tech spaces where they can do meaningful work and experience joy and flexibility and autonomy at work like that mm -hmm. those are real core values and i'm so glad that like there's a new generation of professionals who will have that kind of flexibility but it shouldn't just exist in the tech spaces right it should exist mm -hmm. in nonprofit spaces it should exist in education it should exist in corporate spaces and so you know a big part of my work is preparing women to advocate for themselves to be able to um, secure roles that allow for that um, but as I grow my business and grow mentor me an another part of my work is really working with corporate clients to help them create environments where women and other marginalized people can really thrive and create environments that do increase pro productivity like you talked about Shivani um, and you know and 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 does help the bottom line if you will but also um is a supportive culture that gets the best out of their employees and helps them thrive in their personal lives as well that's so that's so so good i have a question um kind of more going back to imposter syndrome and it's like it's pretty much a question of if an employer is asking you like to describe yourself like an interview because sometimes they just in an interview will ask you a question like oh tell me about yourself like the vaguest thing ever the worst question. like I the worst question. question like I hate that question and actually it was terrible I still got the job thank god but I know I did not ace that question the first question you asked me was tell me your story and I think this the judge actually enjoys hearing like your whole life story so he didn't mind me chatting but I chatted for a good maybe 10 minutes which is terrible no it's bad but he he's like an old man he enjoyed that kind of stuff so you know it was a match made in heaven but that's not a typical <laughs> that's not a typical experience no, it's, not. <laughs> it's terrible I know I've made there's so many cringy mistakes I've made in the past I wish I could undo but that's why we're here that's why we're learning that's why we're growing um but how do we answer that question and how do we make sure that we emphasize our strengths and downplay the weaknesses rather than like oversharing sure. or maybe like over talking up? Sure. I hate the question too. Um, so, you know, you're not alone in that. And whenever I, I'm right now, I'm chairing two different search committees and I flat out tell them, we're not asking that question. Um, I'm not here to collect your life story, girl, or like learn about the number of cats you have. Don't care. I'm here to qualify you for this role. So, um, but I do think employers still sometimes ask it. And so, I'll, I'll tell you that my way of answering this is airs a bit more on the conservative side. I, I am a little bit more conservative in interviews. I coach and teach that way. Um, it's not that I don't value personality or personal stories, but I, I do teach and coach from my own values and some of my own values value sort of directs clear, what I call clear, confident, and concise, right? The three C's, like we're just going to wrap it up in a cute little bow. And so I invite um, women to um, talk, to speak directly to the role. So I invite women to say something like, um, I'm a mid-level professional with seven years of experience working in um, the tech and artificial intelligence um, industry. I've had the opportunity to work for A, B, and C organization over the last um, seven years uh, and have had the opportunity to make work on major projects like A, B, and C. I'm really excited to leverage uh, my um, immense experience in A and B um, in this role because I know a core part of 
of this work is um, connected to one, two, and three outcomes. Uh, and I also am excited to work uh, to do that work uh, for this unit specifically because I know this unit values family and is really intentional around community outreach and engagement. Um, and I have some demonstrated experience working for community organizations outside of my uh, professional work as well. And so I'm excited to be a part of this team. So that would be my answer to that. It's clear, it's concise, it's succinct, it's related to the role. I didn't say anything about, you know, the fact that I'm the oldest of seven or that like Beyonce is my king. I just said, you know, <laughs> what it was related to the role. So that is what I invite mentees to do. I think sometimes, you know, some, you know, career coaches might tell you to talk a little bit about your personal life or what, you know, you like to snowboard on the weekends. But for me, I think that that opens up a portal for you to digress. And then, and then you all the way over here and we all, of what we need to be on. Now, if they ask you to iterate or to go deeper, let them ask you that rather than like mm -hmm. you going into a deep hole. And I wanted to speak to the imposter syndrome piece a bit because I, I feel like there are two, well, I think there's one lane of thought on imposter syndrome, but I want to invite you into another one. So mm -hmm. I think the first lane of thought into imposter syndrome is like, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't belong in this room. I don't belong at the table. And, and, and that thought, right, is despite demonstrated experience and demonstrated mm -hmm. expertise to say otherwise, right? right. So you have the degree, you have the credential, you have the skill set, but you still feel like you don't belong. And a lot of that is a societal thing, right? It's told Black, dark-skinned women, poor women, disabled women, you know, marginalized people that they don't belong. And so that's like a societal thing mixed with like fear and a lack of self-confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that like drives you there. That's a real experience. And yeah. for that kind of imposter syndrome, I think it does take um, the, like su the support of, you know, a career coach, maybe a therapist, some, um, you know, affirmations to kind of work through that. And again, not around it, not pushing it down, not pretending it doesn't exist. Imposter syndrome is real. It's a real thing. It's, it's a societal impact. It's a real thing. And we have to move through that with the help of supportive people. But there's another framework around imposter syndrome that I want to invite you into. And it's the fact that maybe you really are an imposter. Like you feel like you don't belong because you don't. Like oh, you should wow. not be in this industry anymore. You actually should not be doing this work anymore. You actually are an imposter because you're making $30,000 less than you should be. And you're playing in this role and scared to actually move up, right? You mm. should not be working in the corporate space anymore. You really should be working in education and you are an imposter. You're literally in this corporate space drowning and dissatisfied and you literally are sitting here in imposter because you should be doing meaningful work in education. And so I think sometimes imposter syndrome can be a gut pull. It can be a gut pull telling you, girl, you don't belong here. And so instead of trying to self-affirmation it away, listen to it <laughs> and move. And yeah. that's another like window into imposter syndrome. I want folks to kind of wrap their head around and think a, think a bit through. That's perfect. I think that speaks to an experience I had in college when I was first coming in, trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, I came in, pre like I didn't come in pre-med, I applied pre-med, came in, was thinking maybe business, like, I don't know, maybe law, um, wasn't really sure. I was thinking I was gonna major in econ because my parents said that that's what you should do like if you don't know what to do. So I was like, okay, I'm doing econ. Took, I was taking my intro to econ class, like drowning like to get the grades I was getting I was working overtime like I was never around my friends often I was always in the library but yeah I wasn't I just wasn't clicking it wasn't clicking um did a couple of experiences found out my second semester that I have a, a huge like love for history and found myself thriving in that space while still putting in those hours but I would see results like I'd see results that were a lot better and more gratifying. I was happier. I was doing something I loved. I was excelling in it. I was reaching out to professors, making friends, finding mentors, all of these things. And I made the switch and my life has been better since and I don't regret it. Um, and I think that that is really the best, honestly, the, the, the best kind of framework shift, like paradigm shift I've, I've experienced in hearing you like kind of reaffirm that. I think that that's perfect. And um, uh, I wish we could talk forever because oh. <laughs> like I'm, I'm really learning so we, much. There has to be like a part two or something because I'm just like, oh my God, we can go on and on. And I think imposter syndrome can be its own podcast, honestly, because there's just yeah. so many moments and experiences. And I think that that new thought that you put out, honestly, like the reason why I'm quiet is because I'm just like, okay, like that's very, that's something that I've never really, you know, 
thought about connected yeah mm-hmm. like I'm, that's something that I've never really put, put into my head and I'm I'm I'd love to dive even further but there's just which, too, <laughs> there's too much to do in so little time which means we need to have you back actually we really yes. do please please have me back I I just feel like I've learned as much from you all as I hope I've given um in this you know in this time in our time together um I definitely have a podcast so if your listeners want to hop over to school and life podcast you can listen to me talk every Tuesday I drop a new episode uh, yes. so I'm always there talking about imposter syndrome or the world of work or uh, my favorite TV show and how it's bringing up things in my own life or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, you can, you can, if you, if my voice is soothing and it's bringing you good vibes, you can, you can pop over to school and life and listen to me anytime. Yes. Uh, thank you. And also follow her, let, let our, our viewers or our listeners know your information, sure. anything else. Yes, I'm Ashley Ashire. I'm a career development strategist and mentor for professional women. I primarily serve new and mid-level professionals in corporate, nonprofit, and educational leadership. And you can find me on the internet, um, on Instagram and Twitter at Ashley Ashire. That's my first and middle name. So A-S-H-L-E-Y-A-S-S-H-I-R-E. So Ashley Ashire, A-S-S-H-I-R-E. You can also check out my website at mentor org that's m-e-n t-o-r dash me.org or schoolandlifepod.com s-c-h-o-l-i-n lifepod.com um, I would love to um, have you in my Instagram community um, for us to kiki in my comments I am in my <laughs> all the time I am the funniest person you know so and you know <laughs> now so you should definitely follow me on social so we can stay connected and so that I um, can know that you're a part of the Call Me Anytime community. We love that. Absolutely. You guys heard it, listeners. Go and chase her down and follow her and definitely join her community. And also join ours if you're this is your first time listening you know subscribe um add download do everything that you need to do give us five stars if you love this pod if you want to have ashley back and back again and back again please let us know um the best way you know how like you find us in our comments you dm us you're in our reviews um definitely do the reviews five stars as always um, follow us on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, um, all of our other platforms. And, and as, as always. Oh, before we do oh. that, actually, um, oh, we typically forgot. do a song. So every single um, podcast, like I usually find a moment to think about a song that, um, you know, relates to the theme of what we're doing. And right now I'm thinking about Bills by Destiny's Child. Just because, you know, it relates like the music videos and the work setting and it's just people are being sassy and authoritative, (laughs) authoritative. So if you'd like to sing along to a little verse, please do it with me. Shivani, please do it too. No, I won't. (laughs) Okay. your thing. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. Just bills, bills, bills. Keep paying my telephone bills. Keep paying my automobile bills. Maybe, maybe, chill. I don't, don't think, think you, you do. Sell me everything. Yes, Ashley. Yes. No, Ashley that was my, the best one yet. I think I <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. I love you, Ashley. I love you. Call me whenever, community. And as always, call, call us whenever. whenever. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Love you.